this semester, if you're new, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is kind of this funky book in the Old Testament. And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes 7. Uh, I'll give you some time to get there. If you don't, it's on a sheet. There's everywhere. So is that sheet in your seat. That's tough. That's a twister, guys. Sheet in your seat. That could go a lot of different ways. Um, Anyway, so uh, find it. uh, Go to Ecclesiastes 7. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to 29. Uh, This is one of the most difficult and notorious passages in Ecclesiastes. In fact, it was really interesting this week, uh, earlier this week when I was studying, one of the first books I picked up, the very first paragraph I looked at about this passage we're going to talk about tonight, said, the temptation will be to skip it. That's what most people do. Um, It's not a good idea, and so we're going to dive into it. Uh, And so, let's pray, because it's obviously going to be weird and challenging, uh, but good. So much good stuff in these passages. All right, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for your word. Even the hard, difficult, notorious parts of it, thank you that you speak in every verse to us from Genesis 1 to Revelation. Um, Thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us, that you want to be known, that you want to know us, and thank you um, for Jesus the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Would we see him tonight? Would we worship him? I pray in his name. Amen. Uh, So at one point while I was a college student, I had a lot of different jobs. At one point when I was a college student at the University of North Alabama, yeah, yeah, UNA, go Lions, Division II powerhouse. (laughs) I worked in the home theater department at Best Buy. Uh, And one night, I left my shift, right? Went home, ate some Honey Nut Cheerios. They were delicious. Uh, Went to bed because I had a shift the next day. And so now I wake up, I'm feeling real good in my blue polo. Yeah, I know the blue polo. Uh, I'm feeling really good. I go work my shift, and as I'm leaving work, the shift's over, I'm leaving work, one of the managers calls me into... Uh, the loss prevention office. Now, that's a funky phrase. Um, it was a really interesting place that you never got to go. Probably a reason for that. One, only people with special keys could get into the loss prevention office. Uh, it's where they had all the store surveillance footage. So anyway, uh, they invite me in. I'm like, hey, that's cool. A little powwow with the boss. It's awesome. Uh, and so... Uh, I got in there, there's two other, there are people in there waiting on me, which got really weird. And so I go in, there's a couple other managers waiting on me, and there was this one little lady uh, who thought she caught, like, one of FBI's most wanted. She had this look on her face. I still was, like, confused. Uh, but she looked like she did something really good. She about to get a promotion. Uh, and so anyway, they, they proceeded to accuse me of stealing it was like serious interrogation. Uh, th- and here's what happened. The night before, there was uh, a demo game in the Nintendo GameCube. Anybody remember that? Well, we're going back, guys. We're going back. There was a demo game in the Nintendo GameCube, uh, and it was stolen out of my 
department. Okay? Now, what, what's really interesting is I was the last person that they saw on camera at the scene of the crime. And I'll be honest with you, I saw the footage. It looked interesting. Yeah, like, I went up and pushed the button. The thing comes open, I close it. I mean, it was really a weird-looking thing. Um, and so anyway, they showed me this footage, and then they kind of started pressing me for a confession. I didn't steal the game. And so obviously I was like, I, I didn't steal the game. You know, I'm trying to make my case. Uh, I, and I asked them, I was like, did you watch the whole surveillance video? Because uh, I'm looking at it. I've already clocked out. There's still 40 minutes left on that video, my friend. And, um, and they were like, well, yeah, well, we're going to do it right now. And so I sat in this office for 40 minutes with two man- three managers and this lady watching the video. Right? Um, because after I was seen opening the game console, I clocked out and went home. And so all I needed was for the game to come out of sleep mode on that surveillance footage, right? To prove that it was still there after I clocked out and therefore proving my innocence, right? And so anyway, clock's ticking. I'm kind of sitting there, and at one point I'm like, please, somebody touch that controller. Um, the, and the interrogators, they hit play. They're not even watching. Like, I'm watching a video, and they're just looking at me. You know, it's, clock's ticking. And um, so I'm sitting there. At one point, there's like 10 minutes left on the clock. I'm nervous at this point because there's no way I'm going to prove my innocence. This one dude, we like, he kind of like did this number like in my face. Like, not totally in my face, but sort of in my face. And he was like, just tell the truth, Brian. You stole the game. That's what he said to me. And, uh, and so I just sat there. I was like, I'm watching the video, man. I didn't steal the game. Four minutes before the surveillance footage was going to end, the store was going to close, and any chance of proving my innocence is gone, a kid, I wish I could hug him today, a kid <laughs> walks by, he grabs the controller, and the game comes on. It's beautiful. And, and it was one of those moments I just stood up, and I, I mean, it's like the greatest victory of my life. It was better than any, I played sports, it was better than any sports victory I ever had. It was, it was just like, what? Like, LeBron James to give me some, like, chalk or something. It was awesome. And then I just walked out. That, I mean, they made a serious mistake. Like, they really did. And, um, you know, it's stories like this, you know, that make you kind of stop and wonder. I mean, like, this is not that serious, but people are wrongfully accused of things. Uh, you know, why do, it makes you ask questions like that. Like, why are people wrongfully accused? Like, why do people steal? Um, and at some point, when you, as you go through life, I bet all of you have realized this by now. Like, you realize, like, something is wrong. Like, something is wrong with the world we live in. Um, and the author of this passage, he's going to address that reality. Like, something is wrong. He's watched enough of the news, Right? He's lived enough life to know there is something wrong with the world that we live in, um, and there's something wrong with every human being in that world. Uh, And so here's what we're going to do. This is a crazy, weird passage to kind of work our way through, and so we're going to do the best we can. Um, You may have questions then, because I just can't tackle every weird phrase in here, uh, or strange or difficult to interpret, but we're going to do the best we can. So we're going to look at the paradox the proverbs, and then the problem. 
Okay, so let's just start out in verses, we're going to look at verses 15 to 18 and just look at the paradox. Uh, in this meaningful, no, in this meaningless life of mine, it's a great start. I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Um, okay, let's just think about that for a second. So a paradox, I'm sure most of you know what a paradox is, but just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page. A paradox is something that seems contradictory. Like, you know, it, it seems inconsistent, it's puzzling, yet it's true. Like you see it, you're experiencing it. Um, it's happening. You know, and life can feel like a paradox sometimes. Uh, and, and this is what the author is getting at in verse 15. Like, he's basically just saying, hey, I've lived a long time, I've seen it all, and he really had. Um, and you know what I've seen? Great people die young, and wicked people live a long life and prosper from their wickedness. Right? That's kind of what he's getting at. It's a paradox. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and then he gives us some strange instruction kind of based on this observation in verses 16 to 18. Um, it's, and it's a really, if you read those passages, we just read them, and I'm sure you were thinking about it. It's like he's saying, hey, um, you don't have to be really righteous. Righteousness is a good thing, by the way. Um, you don't have to be really righteous, just kind of righteous. And, uh, you know, a little wicked is okay. Just, hey, don't be overly wicked. All right, guys. That's what it kind of sounds like. Um, and you know, it's really bizarre. And so we have to ask the question, okay, what is he talking about? Because that just doesn't, like the Bible tells us to be righteous, as righteous as we can be. Uh, it tells us to avoid wickedness. And so what kind of is he getting at? Uh, and honestly, there's a number of ways you could understand this. I, I'm not sure if there, which one is the most correct way, but I'll give you at least one really good option. Um, he could be saying something like this. Don't be self-righteous and don't be lawless. Think about it like this. Don't be irreligious, kind of like super rebellious, and don't be super religious, like meaning uh, self-righteous. Right? Does that make sense? Uh, he's saying like avoid extremes, avoid excess, because it, it'll destroy you. Um, now that is if you want to go the route where you understand righteousness to be ethical and moral. Right? But in the Old Testament, righteousness can often refer to like a legal sense, like a legal case. And so if that is the way you want to go, um, you could, it, it could be something like this. He's saying, hey, you don't have to be right all the time. And y'all know those people who have to be right all the time. Like you don't have to insist on being right all the time. In fact, if you do, it's going to ruin relationships. It's going to alienate people. Right? But he's also saying you don't want to be wrong all the time when you don't need to be wrong. Like, meaning just letting people run over you. You're just always kind of like, yeah, sure, I was totally wrong. Duh, when you weren't. Right? Because that as well can destroy you. I think what he's getting at is you, you want to be balanced. Um, 
And so anyway, I hope that's helpful. It's really tricky stuff. Um, all right, so let's talk about the Proverbs, verses 19 to 24. Uh, proverb is just basically a, you know, there's all kinds of Proverbs in the, in the Bible. Um, it's just a, a short statement of just kind of general truth is maybe a way to think of it. Uh, and so the author acknowledges this paradox, right? And now, now he's going to keep going. Let's start in verse 19. Wisdom makes one man, makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? Whoa. And so he acknowledges this paradox that we experience in life. Good thing, you know, uh, things don't always function properly. Bad things happen to good people. Uh, and good things to bad people. Which, by the way, nukes this whole idea of karma, by the way. If karma is real, uh, it's broken, and they need to fix it, okay? Uh, and so anyway, side note. Uh, then the author goes on in verse 19 to 24, right? To re- he, kinda, he just kind of goes on and kind of reflects and observes and offers some general truth in these short statements. Uh, and so let's just kind of walk through them. Verses 19 and 20 he tells us wisdom is a good thing. Like, wisdom is worth it. Like, you want to be a wise person. Um, but before the wise people get a big head and think more highly of themselves than they ought to, right? Uh, he brings them back down to reality in verse 20, right? He's saying, yeah, you may be wise, you may be really wise, but you're still sinful. Like, reality check. Uh, and, and listen to what he says. Verse 20 is amazing. Uh, There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Like, people people who are consistently good people still do bad things sometimes. Like, I still fail. I fail all the time. Um, Right? And so I may be a good guy, but I still make mistakes. I still mess up. That's kind of what he's getting at. Uh, And then let's keep going. Verse 21 and 22. Um... It's like he says, yeah, every man is sinful, right? And in fact, proof that every man, every human being is sinful and flawed is right behind our teeth, is what he's saying. He's like, you don't need to go any further than everybody's tongue, right? I mean, immediately after he says everyone's sin, he goes, just think about the way we talk. The way we talk to each other, the way we talk about each other, uh, to make his case that everyone is messed up, like everyone is sinful. He needs to go no further than the words that come out of our mouth. He didn't even started talking about the things we do yet. Um, and so, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, words are powerful. Words have power over you. Uh, the words you have can inflict harm, or they can heal. You, you know this. Um, and so, I mean, think about some of the stuff Jesus said about our words. Jesus said stuff I think we forget because it's, it's, it is 
Amazing. Like Jesus claimed that our words are a reliable judge of who we are deep down. Uh, And there's a place in Matthew 12 where he says, and I quote, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So words are pretty serious stuff. Uh, That's Matthew 12, 36 and 37. Um, so let's keep going, 23 and 24. Uh, so the author has acknowledged, hey man, everyone is sinful. Uh, we are full of kind of moral challenges and failures. Uh, and then in verse 23 and 24, he acknowledges his own limitations. Now you see it. Um, he says, what, what's he say? I mean, like, um, who can discover it? Like, I've been determined to be wise, but who it is far from me. Like on my best day, I still can't get the kind of wisdom I long for, right? Um, he's acknowledging his weakness, and that's a good thing. Uh, acknowledging our weakness, acknowledging our limitations is a really, actually a good practice in life. Um, it's actually the road to wisdom. It's the way forward for you. Uh, it's being honest about the things you're really not that good at or the things you fail at or the things you hide. Like Just being honest with someone about those things is a healthy thing. It's amazing how that can actually bring life. It can bring people closer together because we're not all hiding anymore. It's amazing. Um, okay, so let's talk about the last thing. Sorry, we're just blazing through some of this. We're going to talk about the problem. This is kind of like the crescendo. Uh, verses 25 to 29. Let's just uh, just pick up right there. Verse 25. I'll read it. Uh, You can follow along. So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. Now, we're about to get some really women here about I'll be offended, okay? But hang in there. Jesus loves women. The Bible loves women. I find more bitter, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Okay, I'm going to try to do what I, do what I can with this. Um, let's take a drink. Okay, so here's what he's doing. He's kind of been thinking about this stuff. Uh, he's at the end of his life. He's kind of reflecting, thinking about what he's seen. This guy's seen it all. Uh, and he takes us to the heart of the problem in verses 25 to 29. He's kind of already mentioned it, but now he just kind of really lays it out there. The heart of the problem, the problem is sin. Um, when, when you ask what's wrong with the world or what's wrong with me, I asked that question before, like, man, what is wrong with me? Um, the answer to that question is sin. That is the answer. 
Um, and just for anybody that may be new to the Bible, let me just throw out a brief kind of definition to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, sin is the human condition. Notice I didn't say an action. All right? It is the human condition where we disobey or, new, or do not conform to God's purposes, God's law, God's will. Right? Does that make sense? And we sin every day in thought, word, and deed, action. It's pretty, pretty serious. Uh, in 1908, it's an amazing story, I read this. In 1908, the Times newspaper uh, asked a few authors to contribute on the topic. It was going to be like a, they were going to compile all these authors. Um, and so well-known people, brilliant people. They asked them to contribute on the topic, and this was the topic What's wrong with the world? It's a great question. Should generate some, some, some ink. Um, and one of the authors was a guy named G.K. Chesterton. Funky hairdo. Googling later. Um, and here's the response to the question. Here's his response to this question, and I quote, Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours. G.K. Chesterton. That's it. That was his response. His response, when asked, what's wrong with the world, he said, I am. What's wrong with the world? Chesterton knew something profound. Like, he knew that in his very nature, he was sinful. Like, he was a sinner, inescapably sinful. Uh, that there was a part of him deep down that opposed, like, opposed God opposed God's purposes, God's will, God's design, God's authority. Uh, there was a part of him deep down that opposed every bit of that. And he knew it, and he owned it, right? Um, and that's the picture, that's the picture that the writer is painting for us here in Ecclesiastes 7. Um, especially in verses 25 to 29, the heart of the problem is sin. Um, just, I mean, just notice how many times in this passage he talks about sin. Twelve. It's everywhere. Wickedness, evil, adultery. I mean, you just keep going. Uh, Twelve times. And the writer sets out. So he sees this. He gets it, like the sin issue. Like he wants to investigate human nature. Uh, you see him say that in verse 25. And here are some of the observations. Uh, verse 26, he describes a woman who tempts and traps men seduction, adultery, uses her sexuality in ways it was not meant to be used. That's what he's seen. He's seen a lot of that. Uh, and then you go on to 27 and 28. He tells us his attempt. I'm going to do my best to kind of pull 27 and 28 together. Um, he tells us that his attempt to figure out people was unsuccessful. Yes, he doesn't think too highly of women. Okay, and I'll come back and tell you maybe why he has a problem with women in a second. Uh, but one scholar reminds us, before you get like hot and bothered, um, he doesn't think too highly of men either. All right? I mean, only one out of 2,000 people he encountered were upright. So he doesn't think too highly of anybody. Like, what he has seen, one thing, and that is people are sinful. Now, one of the reasons he might be really worked up about women is because the dude, this is, we're pretty... Pretty sure this is Solomon writing. Guess what? Solomon had like a thousand wives. That ain't working out for anybody. All right? That is, a, that is bad news. That is a bad day. 700 wives, technically 300 concubines. 
if you want to get real technical. Uh, yeah, that's not going well. Maybe just a little bit of drama in this household. Um, yeah, that's not going to go. So that may be why. You know, I'm sure he, uh, he got himself into trouble. Um, but here's his one firm conclusion. Out of all of his investigation and study of human nature, this is the one firm conclusion he has. And you see it in verse 29. What's he say? This only have I found. God made mankind upright. Think Genesis 1 and 2. But men have gone in search of many schemes. Think Genesis 3. Uh, I mean, he's saying like all of mankind, including himself. He's putting himself in this category. Um, all of mankind have rebelled against God. Um, and and you know, I know this isn't like a popular topic today. If this is your first time to RUF, I promise you should come back. We don't talk about sin every week. Well, we probably do talk about sin a lot, but it, just come back. Um, you know, it's not a popular topic, but here's what I think is important. If you don't understand sin, okay, if you don't understand it in a robust biblical way, you will never get Jesus. You will never fully understand Jesus. You will never fully understand the world you live in. You will never fully understand even your own life, right? Does that make sense? Like, the, the more you understand sin, the greater Jesus will be to you, right? That's good news. Um, I'm convinced more and more, if you want to be a flourishing human being, you must start with a good biblical understanding of sin, like who we are, our fallen nature. And so, let's wrap this thing up. Sin is what's wrong with us. Sin is what's wrong with the world. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian to see that something is broken, like something's wrong. And throughout, what's interesting is throughout history, everyone notices it. Everyone sees the problem with the world. Um, and and we, all, we try to look for a remedy to the problem of sin. We all do. Even non-Christians are doing it. Um, we're trying to fix it. And for a long time, a couple things that people have looked at to give you an example, are education and science, like scientific advancement. Think medicine, that kind of thing. Like they think, man, if we can just teach people the right stuff, if we can just discover new advancements in science, I love science, okay, it's great. If we can just discover right things, okay, medicine, we'll fix the problems of the world. The belief is we can solve all the problems in the world with those kind of things. And that's our problem is we think about it externally. Like, we think our problem is external. Um, the problem is out there. It's all around us, right? <clears throat> and so let's, let's play this out. And, and let me give you a practical example of where that kind of thinking breaks down. The AIDS epidemic, for example. Um, one in 20 adults living in sub-Saharan Africa have AIDS, millions of women and children. Okay? You all know this. Um, Life-saving drugs have been created. Advancements in treatment for AIDS are phenomenal, like the stuff they can do. Uh, the United States alone, other countries are doing it, but I'll just give you one stat. The United States alone has generated over $46 billion. That is billion with a big B. B. Billion. Okay? For AIDS relief, AIDS research, AIDS cure, AIDS treatment. Just us. 
Some of you, if you've ever worked, you got taxes, right? Yeah, you're helping. Um, tons of this free medicine, right, that is so good, is loaded in a truck that sets out to deliver the ARV drugs. That's like one of the new ones that's really big in South Africa right now. Uh, the ARV drugs to villages in Ethiopia and Kenya. All right? Now, uh, but bef- you know, the, the, the truck sets out, it's loaded with this med- medicine, they're pumped, they're going to save some kids and some women in these villages. But before it gets there, before the truck is there, it is ambushed by African warlords. This is a true story. I'm not, I'm not just like, it's not a hop- like hypothetical story. It's ambushed by African warlords. They take all the medicine. Maybe uh, they try to sell it on the black market. Maybe they destroy it. Do you, you okay. Maybe they destroy it. Here's what they do: is they keep it from reaching the villagers, and the people suffer. Now here we are. We got tons of education. We got tons of scientific advancement. But we're not help. I mean, but there's still a problem, right? We are thinking about it all wrong. Like we need to do those things. Medicine, relief work are good things, but sin is an internal problem, and it only has one remedy, right? Sin only has one remedy, and that remedy is Jesus. First Timothy one fifteen said, Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. That is you and that is me. He is the only hope this world has. Like he's the only hope you have. So consider that an invitation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for Jesus who did come to take away the sins of the world. That is great news. Would we see him? Would we believe him? And would his love for us compel us to love others? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.